Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to continue on where we left off, just marching right through this Gospel of John. We're having a, I'm having a great time. Are you having a good time in the Gospel of John? Uh, it's like, uh, when I'm in the middle of it, it's like my favorite book until I get to the next one. And that's my favorite book. But this is like totally, the Gospel of John is just so incredibly rich and full. So last time we talked about Jesus loving Lazarus and, uh, <clears throat> you know, some of, the, some of the ways that he loved Lazarus. We, we looked before that at Jesus loves Martha, Jesus loves Mary, Jesus loves Lazarus. And, and uh, some of the ways that he loved Lazarus uh, obviously, he gave him life. He was dead, and he brought him to life. He gave him life. He showed uh, Lazarus his power. I think also he cared about Lazarus's family. And you know what? God is still doing those same things today. Jesus is still doing those same things for you and I today. He wants to give us life. He wants to bring life into these dead hearts, you know, these dead lives, the dead areas of our lives. Uh, and especially if we've never been born again by the Spirit of God, He wants to bring life to a completely dead person. But even, at, even after he, you know, he gives us that new life, there there's still dead areas in our lives. Like when Lazarus was brought out of the, out of the tomb, he still had that the dead clothes on, right? And, you know, they had to be pulled off and cut away and, and so that God could, you know, uh, so that Lazarus could get out and do what he was supposed to do. Sometimes there's, you know, stuff in our lives needs to be cut away, needs to be pulled off because they still smell like death. So today... Uh, we, we kind of look at this idea of responses. You know, incredible miracle has just happened. Somebody has been raised from the dead. I mean, you know, when was the last time you saw somebody raised from the dead? Doesn't happen that often. This is an incredible thing that has just happened. And, and these people are now here that are there. Uh, what kind of response would they have? Really, there, there are really only two responses to the gospel and to the word of God. And, and, and one is to believe and, and accept and follow or, or to reject. There's, a, there's no middle ground. Well, I'm kind of in the middle. No, when you're either on one side or the other. And that's pretty much what it is. So let me ask you, though, if you had, if you had seen that, what, what would you do? What would your response be? You say, well, that's an easy, that's easy to answer that question. Well, it's not so easy as we're going to see. There were different responses. For all that Jesus had just done, for all that he'd done even previous to that, really the two, the two responses are this. One is to put our faith in him, to believe, and the other is to reject him. And, and then they got to the place where not only reject him, but let's kill him. Let's do away with him. So we left off here in verse uh, 45. Pick it up there. It says, therefore, 
Lazarus has just come out of the tomb. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes, let him go. Therefore, because of that, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they put their faith in him. Many. This is a response. Because of what Jesus did, a a reaction, a response. Many of them, now they didn't come, interestingly enough, they didn't come to see Jesus. They came to see Mary and comfort her. They didn't come to see Lazarus. He's already dead. He's buried. They don't, that's all done. But they came to see Mary. But then they were surprised, I think, by this radical thing that happened, like we all be, I think. And they said, wow, this guy Jesus, you know, and Jesus had talked about trusting in him, believing in him. And they said, wow, what what else can we do? What other kind of response could there be? They saw Lazarus alive and they said, we're going to put our faith in Jesus. We're going to believe in him. Now, this idea of belief, it's not just, well, I believe that. It's much stronger than that. It's, it's, it's putting your faith, your whole faith, your whole trust in somebody or something. To have faith like that, to put your faith in something. Uh, it's defined like this. Have faith directed to believing or in faith to give oneself up to, to put confidence in. To give oneself up to. If you truly believe in Jesus, you, you give yourself completely to him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. It's not like, oh, I believe in that. I believe in Jesus. You know, the Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus. Do do you think that they're saved, they're going to heaven? No. But to truly believe and trust in Jesus, it's a a full-on thing where your heart and your soul, you've given yourself to Him. You know, they saw Lazarus, right? They saw this guy, Lazarus, and, and they came because they heard he died. But then they saw him alive, and something happened. I was thinking about this, you know, for you and I who have been, you know, changed our lives, have been changed by Jesus. Do, do people see any kind of life in us? Do they see life in you? Do they see life in me? Are we just looking like dead people? I think if we're truly born again, there, people will see some kind of life. They'll see something about us. There's something about you that they see. But getting back to this idea, you know, of seeing this miracle, see, seeing Lazarus raised from the dead, is that enough? Is that enough for them, to, for them to all say, that's it, I'm going to follow. I'm going to trust. I'm going to give my whole life and heart. Is that really enough? Interesting, isn't it? I want you to turn with me back to the Gospel of Luke, back one book. That's easy to find, right? In chapter 16, there was another guy named Lazarus, not the same guy. But there was another guy named Lazarus. This is an interesting uh, parable, really, that, that Jesus uh, gives. Luke chapter 16, I'm on 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus says this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen 
and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus now. Covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Lazarus, or excuse me, the rich man did. He said, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but, and here's the line, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. There's obviously a lot of stuff in that passage we could talk about, but the, the point being, even if someone rises from the dead, even if someone from the dead goes to them, if they will not accept what Moses and the prophets had to say, they're not even going to accept that. Even the most miraculous thing you might see, if you don't have a heart to believe, you're not going to believe. You're not going to accept. You're not going to trust. You're not going to follow after Jesus. I sometimes think about this, you know. Talks about it in, in, the, in the book of Romans. I was going to say the Gospel of Romans. I think every book is a gospel because gospel means what? Good news. news. Every book in the Bible is good news. But in the book of Romans, it talks about, you know, that that the witness is already there. The witness in, in our creation is already there for people to see that there is a God. Even if they haven't heard somebody tell them the gospel about about Jesus Christ, there is a witness in the in the very heavens themselves. The Bible tells us that says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I think if you look up and see, did, you, did any of you see the moon last night? Yeah. Like, that is insane. I mean, and then if you're up early enough and you can see the sun rising and the, and the, the sky kind of looks like that red. Any of you up, ever up early that, that early? <laughs> it's not that early, really. But to see the sky over the horizon, horizon starting to turn that red color, that's, that's incredible. You look up and you see the sun, you know, you see the sun, you see the stars at night. They declare the glory of God. How did that all get there? How does that all function? It just sort of, it just sort of exploded into being and it was all there. And, and, and that's how you and I got here. We just exploded out of some muck. Right? And that's how, you know, 
I remember my son telling me one time, he said, just look at your hand. Just look at, down at your hand. Go ahead, look at your hand. And, and move your hand around, and it's just like amazing. That just happened by itself. Did you realize that? That's like a big bump there that happened by itself. It's amazing. You know, if you look at a flower, you see the creation. This is, you know, the, the things that God has given to us to see that, that there is a creator, that, that, you know, this didn't all just happen by chance. People can see that, yet you still have a choice. Will I trust? Will I, will I call out to this God? Or will I just go my own way and ignore him and reject anything that he's ever had to say? It happens. It happens all the time. How much more do you need to see? In the Gospel of John, three times already it talks about this. In John chapter 2, he does the, uh, the miracle at Cana. It says, he thus, re he thus revealed his glory and his disciples, they put their faith in him. Chapter 7, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? They saw what he, what he had done. Chapter 8, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Now maybe you and I haven't seen him, you know, raise somebody from the dead or or, or change water into wine. But, it, but in chapter 8, it says, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. When I heard about this man Jesus and what he had done and who he was and, and the fact that he died on the cross for me and that he rose from the dead, there, something stirred in me like, you know, if it, if it really is true, you know, what have I got to lose to give my heart and life to him? And that's what I did. But as someone spoke, as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. What about you? Can you say, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ? You say, that's just a simple question. That's, you know, so basic. Yeah, but, but, but that's really what it's all about. Have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? You either have or you haven't. And if you haven't, that, that's a no answer. If you're waiting, that's a no answer. It, you either have or you haven't. It says here in verse 45 that many, many put their faith in him, but, but not all. Look at verse 46. But some, what? Trying to find my place here. I lost my place. Here we are. Verse 46. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You have this whole group of people see this incredible miracle and they say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. But you have this group of other people, this group, some of them, they decided we're going to go to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees have been having problems with Jesus you know, all along. They, we're going, to go to, we're going to go to the Pharisees and tell them about Jesus. We're going to tell on him. They had seen the same thing. They were there, right? Some of them, they were there. They had seen the same thing. 
And yet their response was very different. They left. They went to talk to the Pharisees and, and really say, you know, this, this man Jesus, you've got to hear what he did. So to, ask, to answer that question again, you know, just to see a miracle, is that enough? They saw, but yet they did not believe. They went away. They went to cause trouble, to work against Jesus. So they get to these Pharisees, and this is what happens in verse 47. Then the, then the chief priests and the Pharisees, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. What are we accomplishing? They, they called a meeting. When, whenever you have any kind of problem, just call a meeting, right? That's, that's kind of what you do at work, right? Are we having a problem? Let's call a meeting. That's what they did. They called a meeting. The Sanhedrin was like the high court of the Jewish nation. And, and uh, you had chief priests, you had elders, you had teachers of the law, you had all these people, and they had authority. They had authority that was given to them by Rome in the, in, you know, because they're all still under the authority of Rome. They had some authority, but they did not have authority to do what? To kill. They did not have authority to, uh, you know, issue the, the, the uh, for, for someone's crimes capital punishment. They did not have the authority to do that. That's why they had to go, in the end, they had to go to Pontius Pilate, right? But anyways, so you have this, this high court, they're meeting together, and, and look what they say, you know, what are we accomplishing? What, what shall we do? What can we do? Who was really doing anything? Jesus was the one doing something. They weren't doing anything, and they were really trying to protect themselves, but notice this, they, even they, even they who turned against Jesus and persecuted him, even they had to ad admit that Jesus was performing, performing many miraculous signs. They had to admit, and I've seen this in my own life, in my own family and, and different people, they have to admit that something has happened in my life, something's different about you, you know, you've changed and for the good, hopefully. But yet still, that's, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The people who were there when Lazarus rose from the dead, it didn't matter to them. They came and told these religious leaders about what Jesus was doing. It didn't matter to them. They had to admit it, but they couldn't get away from that. But ultimately, this is what I think, that the problem was this. It was a heart problem. They had a heart problem. Up here, they could say, yeah, Jesus is doing all this stuff. Oh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, whatever. we got to get rid of this guy. Why? Because they had a heart problem. And that's really what it gets down to for all of us. You know, where's our heart at? We might have a lot of good stuff up here, but is our heart on board? They weren't, Warren Wiersbe said, seeking after truth, but for ways to protect their own interests. That's where their heart was that it was it was in themselves and what the power they had and what they could accomplish and do. Verse 48, so this is what they say, if we let him go on like this, 
I mean, that, 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 that's so arrogant, isn't it? If we let him go on like this, if we let who go on like this? Jesus, if we let Jesus go on like this, like they could control Jesus. We, we could stop him if we want to. We've already seen that Jesus, if, if Jesus, you know, isn't ready, he just walks right away. But they said, if we, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, first of all, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that, that people would believe in Jesus? That's a good thing, right? And if they really had their hearts right before God, that's what they would say, that, yeah, that's what, that's what God wants. That's, what, that's why he sent his, son, sent his son for us, that we would believe in him and have eternal life. That's what he wants. But that's not what they wanted. Now, it's not even true because they're, they're proof of it themselves and not, not everyone will believe in him. And that's kind of what I've been saying. We have these responses, different responses. You, you either believe in him or you reject him. But did they really care about the people? The Romans will come and take away our place or maybe they were meaning their temple. They'll take away our nation. Did they really care, these guys? I don't think so. Earlier in the Gospel of John, it says this. Why do people reject Jesus? It says this. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Why do we reject Jesus? Because, because we don't want to come into the light. We don't want him to shine a light on us because of what we're doing, because of what we're involved in, even the darkness in our own hearts. But that's where healing comes from. That's where hope comes from. That's where life comes from. Verse 49, Then one of them, then one of them, one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he spoke up. You know nothing at all. Now he's talking to the other members of the Sanhedrin, other religious leaders, and, and he, you know, it's kind of demeaning. You know nothing at all. Like, you don't know nothing. Did anybody ever say that to you? You don't know nothing. That's kind of what he was saying. He's got this total attitude and rudeness about him. You don't know anything. I make a point of that because what he says next is kind of radical. First, he's like insulting the people that are with him. And then he says this, look what he says. Verse 50, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. That's a radical statement. I have to say it. It's a radical thing. He's talking about something about one person dying. And who's he talking about? About Jesus, of course. He says it's better, it's more expedient, it's more profitable for you if one man die for the people than, than the whole nation perish. 
You know what that is? That's the gospel. That's the good news that one man came and one man would die, that he would die for all the people. Not just the Jewish nation, but for all the people. Do you think he knew what he was saying? I don't think he really knew. Look what it says in verse 51. It says, he did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. He would die not just for the Jewish nation, but for all people. But it says that he prophesied that. He prophesied. He spoke, as the NIVS study Bible says, divinely revealed truth. That's what prophecy is. Divinely revealed truth. David Guzik said that he was unconsciously, involuntarily prophetic. Which makes me think, you've got this guy who, who now, you know, who, who's on the, really on the, on the uh, total offensive against Jesus, but he's speaking something so prophetic. How could that possibly be? Well, the truth of the matter is that God can use anybody, Right? If he can use me, he can use anybody. If he can use that man there, he can use anybody. You, you know, in the Old Testament, he spoke through a donkey. He can, he can speak through you as well. I think sometimes he uses us and the Holy Spirit will use us to speak and we, we don't even know that we're speaking truth. And he can even speak through unbelievers because that's what we see here. Don't always... You know, just write off what everybody else says. You know, we need to be listening for what God might be saying in this. And that's exactly what, what happened here. He was prophesying that Jesus would die for all. He would die for all. The theologians call this the substitutionary atonement. You say that. Substitutionary atonement. It means, I mean, someone took, was a substitute. Someone, you know, the atonement was, you know, that which would take away the wrath of God from us. Somebody who took the place of the wrath that you and I should receive. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's prophesying about. That is exactly what the New Testament declares and explains to us, that Jesus took my place. He was my substitute. He was your substitute for all who would believe in Him. He died in the place of all who would believe. What did He say? He said that one man would die for the people so that the, that the whole nation wouldn't perish. What does John 3.16 say? That, that you know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The parable that Jesus spoke back in Luke chapter, uh, what was it, 11? We read it there, I'm sorry. No, 16. He talks about, he talks about the two different sides, right? And there was a chasm between the two, and one was called hell. Now, this is actually before 
uh, you know, the, 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 the total, uh, you know, fruition of heaven and hell, which we see in the, in the book of Revelation, but there was still this separation and there was still this idea of, of torment, of perishing. It's not, it's not perishing where it's total annihilation. It's, it's the perishing part is being separated from God for eternity, forever and forever. It's open to all, to all who would believe. Their response, verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. They plotted to take his life. Even the language of that's kind of interesting. It says they plotted, they plotted to take his life to take it from him. Now, could they even do that? No. They couldn't take it. But the truth of the matter is, is that it was God's plan, and, and Jesus would give his life as a ransom. Peter, preaching in Acts chapter 2, said this, This man, this man Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. He was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This was the plan of God from the beginning of the world, that He would send His Son to die for us. You and I, we're on the other side of it. We can look back and see, but, but if you can imagine being here now in this, in this setting... Lazarus has been raised from the dead. These people are all talking about it. These Jewish leaders are saying, you know what? We've got to do something. We've got to stop him. We've got to stop this man, Jesus. And then this prophecy that comes from Caiaphas, the high priest. One man died for the people rather than that the whole nation would perish. Verse 54 Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Do you think Jesus was afraid? Why did he do that? Was he afraid of them? No. It wasn't his time. He knew when the time was. And, and not too far in the, in, uh, in the next chapter of the Gospel of John, he, it, he's going to say, my time has now come. And he offers himself as a sacrifice. They couldn't do anything until he said that. Verse 55, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, which... Many went up from the country uh, to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before this Passover. So a lot of people would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. There were feasts that, that uh, people were required to go to Jerusalem for, and the Passover was one of them. It says, they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it to them so they might arrest him. 
it's interesting as, as uh, we see you know, in the coming chapters that Jesus is now offering himself at the very time of Passover. Well, what is Passover? Why were all these people coming? And, and they're coming to, to, to celebrate the Passover and go through the different rituals and things that were a part of it. But it says they were looking for Jesus in the middle of all that. But, but what is this thing called Passover? Because, you know, it's mentioned many times in the, in the New Testament, many times in the Gospel of John. What is a Passover? Where can you read about Passover? Anybody know? In the book of Exodus, right, in chapter 12 in the book of Exodus. And, and you know, the people were in bondage to the nation of Egypt. They were in bondage to Egypt. And, but, but, you know, God had done uh, many, many uh, uh, signs, you know, to get the people to be set free. And Pharaoh would say no, and he hardened his heart, and God would harden his heart, and he would harden his heart, and God would harden his heart. But in the end, the final thing is what is called the Passover. Let me read to you some verses from the, God, from the book of Exodus. I keep saying that, the gospel. From the book of Exodus, chapter 12, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families. A sheep is what it would be. And slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, which was like a plant, and dip it in the blood, the blood of that lamb, in the basin, and take it and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe of your house. So they would take this Passover lamb and they would, they would uh, slaughter it. They would take the blood and they would put the blood on the doorposts like this, on the top and on the sides. And then he said to them this, Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. This idea is Passover, that, that, the, that the Lord, the final thing that God was going to do was send a destroying angel, that the people of Israel would be set free from the, from the bondage of Egypt. But what would protect them from the destroying angel? This is the only thing that would protect them from this destroying angel, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. People are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. But it says they kept looking for Jesus. I don't know why they were looking for Jesus. Were they looking for him because they wanted to see him or maybe some that that wanted to turn him in like the Pharisees had, and the chief priests had given these orders. But you know, it's, it's not any different for you and I today as it was back there. And in fact, the, the Passover itself in Exodus was prophetic of what was yet to take place with Jesus. And, and this is what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, Behold... The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, it, all, it always comes back to the cross. We're going to have communion now. That's why we're, this is all kind of you know, dovetailing together in, in this, this celebration of communion. At the Passover, there was a lamb that was, that was slain. On the cross, the lamb was slain, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who took my place, who took your place for all who would believe and put their trust in him. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This thing that we're doing to uh, remember. Paul goes on to say as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read it for you. He says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. We do it every five weeks here. That just works out uh, for us in the Sunday school. So we don't always have the same uh, teachers in in the Sunday school. We do it on on an odd number every five weeks. But we do it in remembrance of Jesus and what he has done. We do it in remembrance of the, even of the Passover, looking back to see that they would take the, the blood and they would put it up on the, on the doorframe and, and on the top and on the bottom. And wherever, you know, the blood was, they were safe. They were saved. They were protected. And it's the same for you and I today. The blood of Jesus, that what he did for us, that is what saves us. That is, that's, that's what keeps us safe. But, but you know, to, to, to do this on a, on, a, on a regular basis, to bring us back to the cross. They did it on a, a yearly basis. They would, you know, celebrate the Passover every year. Do it on a regular basis to come back to that place where, where we know that, that, that Jesus is my Savior and I trust in Him. I put my faith in Him. Say, that's just for people who aren't Christians. No, that's for for us, for all of us. Do I really put my faith in Him? Chris was talking about it during worship time. You know, I can sing these words, I can talk about this stuff, but is it really a part of who I am in my life? Is Is it coming out in my life? Can people see any life in me? Can they see Jesus in me? I think, I think sometimes, you know, we have to just stop. And that's, I think that's why we have communion, so we can just stop and say, let's just stop everything for a few moments in time and say, God, 
I'm here before you. I'm going to remember the cross and what you did for me, what you did for the world. So we're going to take a couple of minutes. I'm going to pray right now. We're going to take a couple of minutes quietly to just communicate with our Lord Jesus to remember what he did for me, for each one of us, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. And, and, and you know, if it's not real for you, if, if, if you haven't made that decision, don't, just don't partake. You see, communion is really for believers. It's not a ritual. It's open to anyone who would make a decision for, for, for Christ. And you can do that right now when, when we pray. So we're going to pray, and then, and then let's take a few minutes. And then you go back like, like they had to take the, they had to sacrifice the lamb. They had to get the, the branch of hyssop. They had to dip it in the blood. They had to put it up on the, on the, the top and the sides. It, it took some action. It, it took some, some you know, response, rea- you know, response to, to, to make this happen. That's why, that's why sometimes we do it differently, you know, you know, where rather than it be brought to us, we do something, you know, it, it, it's a, a step of faith. It's a step of, of you know, uh, that's something that I have done. I'm gonna, I, I want to get up. I, I want to get up out of my seat and, and make my legs move to go and pick up that and bring it back and, and, and partake it as a remembrance of, of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. So let's pray. And again, you do it. You if you're there, you do it, you bring it back, and you partake on your own. And, and uh, then after that, we have a, another worship song that we'll finish with. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we, we thank you that you have given to us your Son. And these people saw what, what Jesus did, and, and many put their faith, they, they put their whole confidence, their whole life in Jesus and others didn't but we're here today to say that we do we we put our faith in you Jesus and we want to walk with you we want to talk with you we want to follow you you said follow me that's not always easy and maybe we've blown it even this week or even this day and and yet yet you are right here for us to renew and and to like restore and, and give us a brand new start, a brand new day. Your mercies are new every morning. That's a miracle. But as we think about your taking my place, taking our place, Lord, we, all we can say is, Lord, I, I deserve to die. I deserve to perish. I deserve to be separated from you, but, but you love me and you opened the door. And all I did was enter in. You did it all. We celebrate that. We remember that. We 
do this in remembrance of what you have done. Maybe there's some here today, maybe one, maybe two, maybe more, who you've never just said, Jesus, you can do it now. Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. At least as much as I'm able to, I believe in you and I, I want you to, to come into my life and save me. Change me. Forgive me today. some of us need to do business with God we're, we wandered off we're just, we're, we're just out there on a limb and we it's a scary place to be we need to get back to the, the vine abide in the vine get close to the Savior Jesus maybe that's you today maybe you just need to do some business with him and reconnect I don't know. Each one of us has got something, though. Each one of us has some kind of problem, some kind of issue, some kind of struggle, some kind of fight, battle. The race is hard. We come before you this morning, Lord, and, and look to you. Let's spend a little time now and 